this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Amen. Guys, we've been walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's been a lot of fun. There is just something rich about going straight to the source of the words of Jesus. Because I can guarantee you there's great like pastors that I love listening to. Like I've got my phone loaded, chalked up with podcasts of guys that are way smarter than me and really just challenge me to pursue Jesus more. Um, but no matter how eloquent or articulate they might be, or, you know, just how revolutionary their kind of take on, you know, theology is or whatnot, and it, it is all good stuff. Um, it, it all falls short in comparison when you go straight to the source and you see Jesus himself telling you these things, right? It's kind of weird to be preaching a sermon on a sermon, right? I'm preaching uh, through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, elaborating on it, um, and a lot of the times, I think we almost do an injustice because we try to explain what Jesus said rather than just let what Jesus said impact us. And I have just taken so much life out of these last few months now that we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, Pastor Adam shared a phenomenal word that drove us into chapter 7 of the book of Matthew, uh, speaking on judging one another, right? He all gave us the green light to cast judge. No, go back and listen to last week's message. If you haven't, guys, we have a podcast that you can subscribe to uh, either via our website or actually you can just, if you have an iPhone, you can go straight to Apple iTunes and pull it up. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, all that stuff. If you want to get caught up on uh, anything that maybe you missed as we were walking through the Sermon on the Mount, but last week in particular, was really good and uh, just was so blessed by that. So thank you, Pastor Adam, for last week. But he made a statement in his sermon that I wrote down that has just, it kind of blew my mind as I was reading it, or as as he said it, and as I started just kind of thinking on it throughout the week. Um, And that statement was the fact that Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is reinforcing love for God and love for one another And that's kind of the context of the entirety of the sermon. Uh, Every little facet, every little piece that Jesus highlights fits into this greater lens of the Sermon on the Mount of how we interact with God and also how we interact with the world around us. And uh, I just think that's so important that we keep that concept uh, in mind, that we keep that filter kind of maybe in view As we look at the different aspects of uh, spiritual and everyday life as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, because I've, uh, since the onset of this, have been talking about uh, back in Matthew 4, uh, Jesus says that when he began to preach, uh, that Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was kind of the precursor to his teaching that we see in the Sermon on the Mount, and Uh, The best definition for me that I came up with was that, you know, Jesus outlines what repentance looks like manifest in the life of the believer in the Sermon on the Mount. In the sense that you've said yes to Jesus, 
You've embraced him as Savior and Lord. Now, you're ought, now you ought to live differently than you did before. And what does that look like? It looks like the Sermon on the Mount. It looks like loving your enemies. It looks like praying for those who persecute you. It looks like being poor in spirit. Like Everything that we've talked about for the last number of months, and I still stand by that. I still think that's evident and it's true and it's what enables us to be countercultural and actually bring about impact and change into a culture and a society that's hostile towards God. But even overarching that is this very simplistic kind of theme that runs through of how we interact with God and how we interact with people. And uh, Jesus breaks that down uh, here uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. We see we see these principles come to the forefront, and I'm very excited to dive back into it today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 7 um, here in just a moment, but we get, to, we get to talk about prayer. And I think it's so fitting in light of what I just shared about what Adam shared last week is because oftentimes we consider prayer as something that's explicitly personal. We talk about our prayer lives. We talk about having a prayer closet. We talk about, you know, getting alone and spending time with God. And 100%, your prayer life is pivotal to your relationship with God. It is a very personal thing. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say that it's not. But equally important to how you relate to other people is your prayer life. Because I don't think that you can actually be healthy in prayer with God and have, uh, and have unresolved con- conflict and contention um, with those around you. I say, this, I say this because we talked about it last week. It's really hard to be right with God and wrong with a brother. Does that make sense? Um, and I, I actually said that it was impossible because we talked about forgiveness, all of that. I stand by that. Go listen to the sermon to hear what I mean. Uh, make another plug there. But uh, what I wrote down here is that our prayer life doesn't just affect our relationship with God. Just because it has a private aspect to it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect the people around you. How you relate to God is 100% defied by this intimidating idea of a prayer life, or in a lot of our cases, lack thereof. And that in turn affects how we relate to the people around us. Um, Because if you gotta, does that make sense, friends? It's not just something that's exclusively related to our relationship with God, but it also affects how we deal with the people around us. You know, because I could not pray, and that would affect my relationship with Jesus. But if I don't have effective or strong relationship with Jesus, that in turn is going to affect the way that I interact with my family, right? How I interact with you guys as a church how I interact with my mission that God has sent me on to fulfill uh, his purposes. All of it is connected. It's not just singular in scope. And so it does directly deal and take root in how we approach God, but also with how we approach people. And I I know that we've, we've established this, but again, our call as believers is to transform the culture that we're planted in. In the same way God utilized uh, Israel <laughs> and, uh, and Judah uh, as they were taking captives um, into Babylon, 
And uh, the promise was for them to actually flourish there in Babylon and have a positive impact on a godless society. It was crazy. You know, we talked about that many, 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 probably it's over a year ago. We live in a culture that is defined by wickedness. We live in a time that is opposed to Jesus. And we have a calling as believers to live planted in that culture under a radical different set of ideals and actually go about seeing the kingdom come through us as conduits of God's glory. And that is something that I'm really excited about. Um, So we're going to jump into what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. In fact, we're even going to use an acronym today. I've heard it said that uh, you can figure out like if a ministry is legit or not, if they have a really solid acronym, like you have YWAM, Youth with a Mission. You've got ACTS, that was like the Antioch Center for Training and Sending. You got uh, IHOP KC, the International House of Prayer. What, if, you want, if you want to find a legit ministry, it's got to have a good acronym, right? Um, or if, uh, if you wanted to find, like, uh, if you really wanted to step your preaching game up, you would uh, drop some acronyms in it. Guys, and I'm terrible at this. I, I realize this. My acronym game is weak. I remember, um, like, I don't even do alliteration well, guys. Like, I don't even have, like, three points that start with the same letter. I don't know why you guys keep tracking with me. I remember uh, in ministry school, uh, Pastor Bobby Wilson preached this message. And Pastor Bobby was, uh, when I sat under his ministry, I think he was almost 80. And he was this fiery, fiery, just old man that was, I mean, very intimidating, very scary. And I'd like to say that what I'm about to share was him just kind of being like not serious, but he was 100% dead serious. I don't think he was ever not serious. Um, And just fiery guy. And he was preaching on prayer and he was preaching on revival one day. And he's like, I've got an acronym for you for pray. And he was like, pray. P stands for pray. R stands for return to prayer. (laughs) A stands for always pray. (laughs) Y stands for you, you pray. (laughs) And I remember being like the the know-it-all Bible student that was like, I could preach better than that, right? I was like, man, Pastor Bobby, your acronym game is weak, but I'm not going to argue with you because you're scary. Um, (laughs) And uh, I remember there being a powerful time in the Lord, and a lot of people like really got encouraged by that message. Needless to say, I'm going to step up my acronym game um, because Jesus does, actually. Uh, here, in, uh, here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uses an acronym. When he's teaching on prayer, uh, and this, is a, this was an all terrible setup just for a silly joke that I made to Adam this morning. Uh, but uh, Jesus tells us that we're to ask. And he says that we're to ask, seek, and knock. And that spells ask. And I just thought, that's nifty. Uh, Jesus is pioneer of the game. You thought you were crafty. You thought you were nifty, Stephen Furtick, with your acronyms and whatnot. But here we go. We got ASK. Jesus beat you to it. And wow, I don't know why I wasted so much time on that. Um, I've just never been an acronym guy. I don't know. It's 
<laughs> Let's read the Bible. Is that okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 11. Uh, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Notice Jesus doesn't say, ask and it might be given to you. Knock and you might stumble across it. Um, <laughs> or seek and, you know, it might just show up. No, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. These are the words that are written in red from Jesus himself. And he says, for everyone who asks, receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him Guys, I, I want to I wanna just break this down here. I'm not going to go in depth. I'm not going to talk about asking and seeking and knocking. But I do, I do want to, I just want to maybe throw some questions out at you. Why does Jesus instruct us to ask? Why isn't prayer just answered like immediately, right? God, we know that he's powerful. We know that he can do stuff. We know that he doesn't necessarily need us to ask him to do anything, Right? Why are we to persist? Why are we to keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking? In fact, the, if you were to read like the literal Greek here, the imperative is that it wouldn't be just that you ask once and then you seek once, and then you knock once, but it, some translations will even go to say, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So there's this aspect of persistence to it. Why does God want us to persist? Why doesn't he just answer the prayer immediately when we ask it. I believe all of this, very complex like questions here that you know we could argue about like theologically and draw like roadmaps and I could bust out like ancient languages and we could kind of try to formulate some kind of good answer that probably really wouldn't satisfy you very much can be summed up in one word. And I believe it's relationship. I believe the answer of relationship with God, understanding the fact that the priority of prayer is not that we would get something, but that we would gain someone. And I believe that moreover than it is about getting something from God, it's what we receive from his heart and the relationship that's developed simply by asking that is of the greatest merit. And we're going to break that down. I'm going to come back to that. I'll say that probably a couple more times, maybe in a little bit different language. But I believe it's so important for us to understand what Jesus is talking about. Like Jesus is prioritizing prayer here, right? We just had like the last eight weeks minus like in between Adam's teaching where we talked about prayer, right? Because we broke down the Lord's prayer where he taught prayer, um, and now we're already back in it? Like, Jesus, like, can we let this topic go? No, this is pivotal. It's foundational to the Christian walk. It is expected, not just expected, it is 100% necessary for us to have thriving, life-giving relationship with Jesus that we have solid prayer lives. And uh, I'll talk about that in just a little bit, give some better kind of maybe... Uh, definition to that language. But to ask, to seek, and to knock is to be intentional, friends. You don't accidentally ask somebody for help, right? Seeking denotes intentionality, 
right? It doesn't say uh, the guy who just kind of casually is walking around and stumbles upon something cool, he's the one that's going to receive. No, he says, he who seeks finds, right? I, I don't know. Um, not important. Um, <laughs> you guys get what I'm saying? Seeking denotes intentionality. I believe Jesus uses this language here in verse 7 and when he's talking about prayer because he doesn't want us to equate prayer with wishful thinking. He doesn't want us to just kind of chalk up, oh, well, I said a prayer for you, so I kind of toss up, like, like equate it to like flipping a quarter into a wishing well. And I think that that's what we've dumbed prayer down to a lot in our cultural context. You know, wouldn't it be nice if that person that was sick wasn't sick anymore? Or like, we're going to send you thoughts and prayers. It's really bad about your situation. Or we're, we're going to pray about this, but really it's just, God, wouldn't this be cool if this worked out? It's not this idea of where we're actually casting our cares and burdens upon the Lord with an expectation that he would follow through with some kind of action. Hmm. God desires for prayer to be an intentional, thought-provoking, heart-stirring, relationship-building part of your life in Christ. It's pivotal to our success as Christians that we might know God intimately. That's how I'm defining success in that context, that we would know him and be known by him, that we prioritize the spiritual discipline of prayer. It's not just something that, you know, oh, open to our church. That's the church that does all the prayer meetings all the time. Don't they just, it's always the same 10 people, blah, blah, blah. Don't they, will they ever get over it? No. Guys, I am passionate about prayer because Jesus is passionate about prayer. And somebody is calling me and I'm declining it. Sorry, whoever, they're trying to reach me about my extended car warranty. Please give me a warranty on one of my old 2000 Jeeps, okay? That'd be great. Um, oh, now my notes disappeared. Why'd you call me? I should figure out how to turn that off. That's the first time that's happened in a long time. My bad, guys. What was it talking about? Fasting? Prayer? Uh, prayer. <laughs> it's important, friends, that we prioritize prayer, obviously. Uh, we love prayer here at Open Door Church, and we have a couple different like um, aspects of it. Like we love coming together as the people of God to pray, because there is something that engages the heart, engages the spirit when we pray with other believers. And I preached a while back on why corporate prayer is biblical and it's important, but equally as important is we understand that there is the personal. I, not even equally as important, more important than the corporate gathering of the saints is how you connect with God. Prayer does not need to be this intimidating thing. It's not that you need to know the right words. It's not that you need to have like this long list that you just bring before God. Prayer, and I love the passage of scripture here, brings it down to simply coming before God as a child would come before a father. Of if you have need simply just asking a good dad for help. You know, I mean, it's as simple as, you know, my boys come up to me all the time. And they just ask, dad, can I have this? Dad, well, they say daddy-o. <laughs> it's kind of cute. It's like, daddy-o, can I have a yogurt? Daddy-o, can I have a cheese stick? And I'm not like, no, here's a rock. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm a bad dad compared to Jesus. Um, anyway, Let's get back to what I was talking about, get back to my notes. Um, 
We love prayer. Prayer is good. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I love this, though, because right, asking, seeking, knocking, it's more than wishful thinking. It provokes us to intentionality. I, I, I really strongly believe that there has been um, maybe just some well-intentioned but misguided teaching on prayer in the last number of years because we so don't want anything to be religious, right? It's all about relationship that a lot of the formality, a lot of the structure got thrown out. And in doing so, I think prayer for a lot of people just got thrown out as well. You know, people thought, well, I've got to get down on my knees and I've got to bow my head and fold my hands and I've got to say three Hail Marys and recite the Lord's Prayer and that's prayer. And we understand that prayer is about a relationship. Prayer is about spending time with the Lord. But, um, you know, we, we take those quotes like uh, when, we, when we read about people that are like, ah, I never spend more than 15 minutes in prayer, but I never spend 15 minutes without praying. Or maybe you read... Uh, um, something by Brother Lawrence way back in the 1700s and where he practices the presence of God throughout the day. And, you know, it's just this ongoing dialogue and conversation with God. And that's good. And we want that. But there's something to be said when we intentionally carve out time to spend time with Jesus, confess to him what we need and ask for him to speak and ask for him to move and ask what he thinks about certain things. There's something to be said about intentionally carving out time to ask. And I believe that the Lord desires it from us, and he desires for it to be a consistent uh, part of our life. I love this because to ask or to knock or whatnot all, all denotes this sense of dependency, guys. Right? You don't ask for help if you don't need it. Right? That's kind of our thought is, like, if I can do it myself, I'm not going to ask for help. Like, that's kind of our American mindset. I don't know how many times I've wound up getting myself in trouble and causing so much more of a hassle because I was just too proud to ask for somebody's help. And I believe this is a problem many of us have. We don't go to the Lord in prayer because we feel like we need to figure it out on our own. We've got we've to make it happen or somehow dad is like our like, like angry stepdad that just is disappointed perpetually with us or something like that. And that's not the case. That's not his mentality. He loves when we ask him to help. And when we do that, I believe it's a natural combatant to pride. I believe prayer in and of itself fosters humility fosters dependence and helps put you in proper perspective of realizing you don't need to have it all together because you're the child of one that does. And I love this understanding. I love the language that Jesus uses here where he really paints the picture of a father and son kind of relationship here in prayer where we come to him as a child without the ability, without the necessary means to ask him as a good father to help us out. 
And it's in his heart and it is his desire to do so 100% of the time. That's why I think I can go back to my first statement when we talk about prayer, we talk about why it doesn't fit into our timing. We wonder why it's not answered all the way, the way that we think it looks like. And, and when we struggle with these things, it's that the primary end goal of prayer is not that we would get the right stuff. It's not that the right things would happen, but the primary goal of prayer is that relationship would be fostered and developed and that we would know him as a good father. Does that make sense? I just wonder how seriously we would take our time in prayer if we knew that it was going to be answered. I know that, uh, I know that our prayers, I feel like, um, would be a little, probably a little different if we, like, if, if I could guarantee that what you prayed for in the next 15 minutes would happen, I think, uh, I think we would pray more, right? <laughs> we would treat God kind of like as a genie, as a, like a, what is that where you wrote? That's a genie, right? Yeah. The, the blue guy? Yeah, okay. Um, Will Smith? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I'm older than you, man. I was, I was thinking Robin Williams. Um, uh, <laughs> but to, to ask is to announce dependency. It is the ability to recognize that you can't, but God can. And so I just, I, I want to know, what kind of time we would take? What kind of investment would we make in prayer if we could see the return on it? Um, a lot of the times we don't see it, right? We don't see the, the return of our investment into prayer the way that we think we should. We have this glorious promise that if we ask of God that we would receive and that what we would receive from God is good, that's, those are some defining things from this passage, from this text that we need to keep in mind. God says that if we ask, we will receive. And what he does is he gives good gifts. It actually says he gives good things even. Um, he, he gives good gifts to those who asks. So how do we reckon this promise? Like how do we come to terms with what we read here from the promise of Jesus to what a lot of us would describe as seemingly unanswered prayer. How many of you guys have prayed for something and have it not happen? Okay, good. Uh, you're in good company here today because that's me. I'd put both hands up. Um, I've been there. I've seen it not happen. In fact, I bet you if I were to ask the question, on like, if you were going to like give God a percentage rating on how often your prayers are answered to how often they're not, I don't know if he would like, if it was like Rotten Tomatoes, if he would be certifiably fresh or, or green. I, like, I, I don't know how that would work for if we pulled the room because a lot of us probably have different experience. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about this kind of elephant in the room of unanswered prayer because I just told you that if you ask of God, he will give it to you, right? And that it would be good. And so I try to think of like good things. God, I want a million dollars. God, would you give me a million dollars in the next 30 seconds? Somebody, somebody proved this illustration wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I 
right? I could, I could, I could, I could do that, and I, I could be really sincere. And man, I, I'm a man of great faith. I could have great faith, and it could still not happen. So how do I reconcile what I read about Jesus? Can I take it at what he says, or do I just have to be like, uh, Jesus really didn't mean what he said? Like, these are things that we have to wrestle with, right? Anybody ever struggle with things like this that we come across in the Bible, right? It's like, it's there. So I want to look at, a, at just two, there's more than this, but two scriptural reasons for unanswered prayer. Well, we're going to look at three, but two come from the book of James. Uh, for unanswered prayer um, that immediately came to my mind and uh, just kind of maybe cross some things out here as we have a healthy understanding of asking God. And um, yeah, so James 4.2. I even think I have this in the computer, thanks to Adam. Boom, you're a rock star, guys. Thank you, Reed's back there. Uh, we could get you like matching t-shirts, like Team Reed. Boom, we get Bible verses on the screen. This is what it says in James 4.2. And the, the first one that immediately came to my mind uh, for unanswered prayer is the fact that God cannot answer a prayer that is not prayed. <laughs> so the number one reason that you do not have answered prayer evident in your life is because you are not actually praying, but you're probably just wishfully thinking about it. Because there are some things that Jesus says about prayer that actually do bring about that connotation of intentionality. He's actually wanting you to persist. He's actually wanting you to knock because there's something that he wants to teach you in the process of prayer. And that is maybe consistently, maybe spending some time waiting on God. And what we conjure up to prayer is like what I just did there is like, oh God, would you give me this? And he's not some genie in a bottle. He's not Will Smith. He's not Robin Williams. He is God of all the universe. And he doesn't bow and bend just to our command because we think we need something when we want it. He is the one that spoke this very universe into existence. And it would behoove us to wait upon him. Okay. So number one, that's the easy one. So I have four. That actually wasn't one that I was going to say. Uh, but that's in there. So, so number one is that, you know, uh, people just don't pray. Um, and that's what James would say. But secondly, he says that you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So very clearly, uh, James gives us a second reason for unanswered prayer is that it was asked with improper motivation. In the same way there that I just asked for a million dollars, it wasn't so that I could, you know, just give it all to the poor. I would probably buy another Jeep. Let's be real. You guys have already called me out. Um, but, but for real, right? Like we understand that God doesn't answer every prayer that we pray. Um, and part of that reason is because the motivation is corrupt, and uh, it goes on to say, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world will make himself an enemy of God. What we see here is that there is a strong correlation between prayerlessness that leads to corruption in prayer, 
that actually leads to backslidden worldly living. When we stop and we fail to pray, um, when we get disconnected from the place of asking, from the place of uh, prayer, I believe that we develop not just this hostile nation, not just this twisted, perverted kind of uh, idea of coming to God just for what we want, but it actually goes full-blown where God would call us adulterers and adulteresses, that we've actually cheated on him, that we've used him to get something that we want, and then we kind of just threw him away, and we were done with him. How many people treat the Lord like that, right? We look at him as just something like, oh, you can make my life a little bit better now. I don't actually want to surrender completely to you. I just want you to fix the mess I made. And then as soon as things maybe start getting better, how often do people just turn their backs completely on him? There's a strong correlation here. I believe that the second thing, so one is prayerlessness, right? The reason why we don't get answered prayer is because we don't pray. Second reason is that we ask amiss, that we ask with improper motivation, that uh, I believe that what we're wanting is in direct conflict of what he wants of us. And so sometimes you may be praying um, for something uh, that, uh, is in, that has improper desire, improper motivation, um, I know, I know for me, friends, like, I don't know how many times as a young man in youth ministry in high school, uh, there was a young girl I dated in Bible college um, that, you know, God, I just, this has to be my wife, Lord. Felt like I heard from him, you know, and I, I prayed for that, earnestly desired it, you know, had faith for it, right? I'm quoting scripture, taking it out of context, name it and claim it. This girl is mine. Wrong, wrong, please. Don't take sound bites of this and like put it on the internet and be like, oh, there's that crazy pastor again. I'm recognizing that's wrong. Um, <laughs> but I think about that. And my, my motive, my desire was wrong <laughs> on so many different aspects. And I'm thankful God does not answer every prayer that I've ever prayed. Right? Because I've prayed for some pretty silly things if I think about it and I look back. Um, I am getting ahead of myself. Um, I want to look at another spot in James. Turn with me to James chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 8. Uh, this is specifically dealing with wisdom, where uh, James is instructing people, guys, if you lack wisdom, you should ask of God. Oh, I could just read it. I'm, I don't need to quote it. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I love this because it starts off and gives us this beautiful picture of coming before God, of asking him, right? It, it means that here in the context of wisdom, it was like, God, I don't know what to do. But you do, so I'm going, to come, uh, I'm going to come and ask you what I should do. Very simplistic way to understand this passage of Scripture. Uh, and it's, again, uh, it's an aspect of humility because you're recognizing that you can't figure it out, but God does. You ask him, and he loves to give generously. He loves to give liberally, 
And it's without reproach. It means he's not going to chastise you. He's not going to look down. You're not bothering God with your request. Does that make sense? And it says that it'll be given to you. But it goes on to say, but you've got to ask God in faith. If you don't ask God in faith, you're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. And actually, uh, nothing, you'll receive nothing from God. I mean, okay. So there is a contingency here. There is something about prayer when we come before the Lord that we're to do it and we're to ask in faith because we, we should believe that God is capable, that he is able, and that he is willing to do what we prayed for. And friends, I believe that this only comes from a place of having confidence in him of being rooted in right relationship because when I am hearing from the Lord and I'm close to his heart I know that the things that I'm praying for are his will because he shared his will with me how many times have you been maybe in a in a in a certain kind of prayer context uh, where we pray for something Lord if it be your will and we use it as a cop-out right we use it as a cop-out in case it doesn't happen Right? Because we've treated and we've watered down God and his power and his, and his effective willingness to do something to maybe he just, maybe God is all about cancer. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe God doesn't really want to move and save that person. Maybe, and we, and we have this lack of faith. We have this lack of expectancy for God to move because we do lack faith. And I'm not here to say this morning that just because your prayer hasn't been answered is because it's a lack of faith, but scripture does give us insight that it could be. I think of my good friend, Glenn. Many of you guys knew him, Glenn Rayburn. Um, that man suffered more than anybody that I could ever imagine. And he had greater faith than anybody I've ever met. I remember sitting with him. I remember going for walks with him. And this is one of those places where I really had to wrestle with God, especially in the context of a message like this, especially as we walk through passages like this, because I was there when he prayed for God for healing from his sickness. I was there consistently, again, not just week after week, but year after year of struggle and pain of him continually all the way up to the very end, believing that God could heal, believing that God wanted to heal and believe that God was going to do something miraculous. And then he passes away. So does that just be like, whoa, this is all a sham, pack it up, throw it away? God, you're bad. You didn't do it. So either you're a liar because you say if we ask, we'll receive. If we seek, we'll find. Knock, the door be open. I know that he didn't have improper motivation, right? It wasn't like, God, I just really want to be well so I can go and deal drugs. That wasn't the reason for his unanswered prayer. Certainly wasn't for a lack of faith. And I know that it wasn't because of sin in his life. So why, why is it that some prayers go unanswered? Why is it at the end of the day 
some prayers, there, there isn't a good reasoning for them to not come to fruition. Anybody struggle with this? Is it just me? comes back to the place that I was hitting on a few minutes ago. This may not seem uh, direct relatable at first, but it will make sense. I am thankful that God has never have, hasn't given me everything I've asked for. We look at Paul, right? He had a thorn in his flesh that he desired. He asked God to deal with. It didn't happen. Didn't give us a good answer or reasoning either, right? <laughs> I think of people like a Mr. Rayburn who believed God to move. Didn't see it the way that he thought he would. Didn't see it the way any of us thought it would. I just have to wonder I have, to, I have to go back and even wonder what my life might look like if God did answer those prayers with what I wanted when I wanted them. I'd be married to the wrong person, living in the wrong state, at the wrong church, and that's if I was still serving Jesus. I highly doubt I would be if God gave me everything I wanted. It says here, friends, it says here, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. There's the promise of answered prayer. But it goes on. It says, what man among you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give them a serpent? If then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who Ask him. God gives good things to those who ask. Notice this. He doesn't give worthless gifts, and he doesn't give harmless gifts. Right? How many of you, if you asked for bread, would your father give you a stone? Right? Stones, rocks are worthless, right? How many of you, if you asked for fish, would your father give you a snake? Snakes are harmful. They bite you. You can die. Bad news. Don't go get bit by certain ones. Maybe just don't go get bit by snakes for fun. That sounds bad. Um, but he desires to give good gifts because he's a good father. It says that he gives good things. In fact, James makes a big deal about the fact that he's the father of lights and every good gift comes from him. And so if he gives good things to those who ask... Why is it that we look at some of the hardship? Why do we look at some of the unanswered prayer and say, God, why this? You promised me good things. Um, and I would say this, that the promise is that we always receive when we ask. It's just not that we, it's, it never promises that we would receive what we ask for, though. 
The promise isn't that we would always get the answer that we think is right. I believe that God is always in the business of answering prayer, that there is no such thing as unanswered prayer, but that doesn't mean his answer is going to align with what you think is best. And, I, and it's hard for me to, to really come to terms with sometimes sickness, sometimes disease. It's hard for me to come to terms with, with tragedy and hardship. But at the end of the day, I have to subject myself to the fact that God is still good. And I know that for a fact because I've seen it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. But it comes to the place, friends, where we have to understand that God does promise to answer, but his answer does not always reflect what we think it should be. And I'm thankful for that. I think of it in this way that, you know, my son who comes up to me, he says, Daddy-o, can I have some juice? I, as a good father, might give him juice, you know? But, uh, you know, the other day this actually happened. My son came up to me and says, Daddy-o, can I have some of your Red Bull? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my wife would kill me, <laughs> that it would be the worst 24 hours of any existence <laughs> if I gave a toddler a Red Bull. And Oh my goodness, uh, one time's, never mind. Bad story. You already think I'm sketchy, I didn't pass my background check. Adam's over here telling me about how I'm embezzling funds for Jeeps and stuff. <laughs> Not true. Oh. <sighs> Don't give my kids Red Bull. It happened one time. It's an accident. Everybody was fine. Eventually. But right, my son comes up. This, this really happened the other day. Finn came up to me and asked me for some Red Bull. And I said, no. But I gave him water instead. Because I knew water would be better for him than Red Bull, right? Right. I was supposed to get an amen there. Um, <laughs> In the same way that uh, it's this aspect of father knows best, right? And in the same aspect, I believe that as children of God, we place our trust in him. Not that we stop praying, not that we just leave it all up to chance. But when we don't have answered prayer, it's not that we stop, but sometimes it might be God you know better than me, show me what you're doing. God, maybe there's a reason for this. And I can't explain all the reasoning. I can't give you the perfect little present bow answer where we tie it up and it just makes everything more comfortable. But I do know some of the times when we face unanswered prayer is because God has something better in mind. God has something better in store because his plans are better than your plans and his ways are better than your ways. And I think also in the fact, you know, I know how to give better things to my kids than what they ask for a lot of the time. God does too. And I think about this, you know, if we were to ask God for bread, I don't think he just stops at giving us like, oh, you want bread? Well, I'm not going to give you a stone, but here I'm going to give you a nice baguette. I like to think of God in terms of the one that has unlimited resources, that is able to do exceptionally more what we can ask for or imagine. 
I like to think of it like me coming before God. God, can I really have some bread today? And he gives me a whole flipping bakery, you know, something like that. You know, or come before, God, can I really have like a nice fish? I like fishing. Anybody like fishing? Um, I've done this when I'm out on the boat. Like, God, please just let me catch a fish. Um, I've been out here for like four hours, nothing. And uh, Finn will start singing to the fish, fishies, come up. And he'll start. Last time we went fishing, my four-year-old caught twice as many fish as I did. (laughs) Talk about humility. Humbling experience. Um, God, would you give me a fish? And it's not like he's just going to like give me a fish, like give me a little like rainbow trout or something. It's like he throws a whole giant marlin on the line. He gives more than what we could exceptionally, not exceptionally, what we could possibly ask for or imagine. And it's with that kind of context as we start asking God, I was sharing with my mother-in-law this awesome story about how God just blew my mind this week with how good and amazing he is because you ask for something small and it's like he just opens the floodgates of heaven and it's amazing. And I could talk about that for a really long time, but you need to know this, that there is no limit to the resource of God in his life. He doesn't have, like a, he doesn't have a balance that he's watching decrease in the good things that he can do and, and, and implement in your life. So you should ask for them continually. You should ask for them passionately. You should ask for them consistently because it's like this never-ending bank account without a balance that you can continue to charge on. I've heard about credit cards like that that you can get. Like, there's like a line of credit that has no limit uh, that you don't have to pay back. It's pretty awesome. You should ask God for things. You want to ask God for a million dollars? Do it. He might not answer it. He might change the motivation of your heart and then give you a billion. I don't know that you could funnel it into the kingdom. But we should be asking God for things because he does not get tired of hearing your voice. He does not get tired of you coming to him. I'm not talking about like treating God as like some kind of genie. We talked about that. It's not like, oh, I want really nice stuff. God, give me nice stuff. No, I'm talking about the things in our life that we struggle with that are consistent. God, I need friends. God, I just need some sanity. I need a breath of fresh air. I need some help. How many of you guys need help to get through the day? Stop complaining to your spouse and get in a prayer closet and ask him for help. Get off venting on social media and complaining to somebody about everything that's wrong and turn to the one that can actually do something about it. Things will change. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Hmm. <laughs> Luke 11, it's kind of the parallel chapter to what we've been reading in the Sermon on the Mount. It happened with Jesus' teaching on prayer, almost verbatim, verses 9 through 13. Uh, Luke is almost word for word uh, saying the same thing that Matthew said. Um, except for he changes it just a little bit. He adds in verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion, right? Scorpions hurt. God doesn't want to give you harmful gifts. 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's probably one of my favorite passages in all the Bible because it's this promise of Jesus where he says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? Matthew's good. He says, how much more? Or Matthew says that he gives good gifts. He gives good things to those who ask. But we get greater definition and greater insight when we read Luke's gospel when it's not just good stuff that God gives. It's himself that he gives when we ask. And you might not receive the perfect answer to your prayer that ties everything up and everything works out just the way that you think it should and how you feel like it would be easy. But one thing that I can guarantee you 100% of the time when you ask of God to move and you can ask for him to do anything in any circumstance, in any situation, the answer and the response will always come with more of himself. He loves to give himself freely and generously towards you because he knows that it will generate and cultivate a hunger for more of him. There is one prayer that you never have to worry about. Lord, is this your will or is this not? You never have to worry about if it's stirred by improper motivation or not. It's God, can I have more of you? Jesus, can I have more of you? Holy Spirit, can I have more of you? There is a promise here. Not just that he would give, but how much more would it please the Father to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, it's not about what we receive when we ask. It's about who will receive when we ask. It goes all the way back to what we talked about, this, this whole idea, yes, there's practical needs. Yes, there's physical needs. Yes, there's things that we, we can't accomplish, we can't make happen, that we need God to do. And he loves to move, and he loves to do them. And I, I thought about just tackling this whole sermon with testimony after testimony after testimony of answered prayer. And maybe we'll do that next week. And I want your heart to be stirred to actually come to God in boldness, to ask him, for fair, to, ask him to move, to, to believe that he'll do stuff when you ask him to do it we could share testimonies it's good but moreover and more important than just those answers to prayer and those cool stories is the fact that you receive him when you ask and it pleases his heart to do so thank you for listening to this week's message our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you if you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.